volume two chapter seventeen of the travels to the interior of africa by mungo park this librivox recording is in the public domain more than to tafara having for the reasons assigned in the last chapter determined to proceed no farther eastward than scylla i acquainted the duty with my intention of returning to sego proposing to travel along the southern side of the river but he informed me that from the number of creeks and swamps on that side it was impossible to travel by any other route than along the northern bank and even that route he said would soon be impassable on account of the overflowing of the river however as he commended my determination to return westward he agreed to speak to some of the fishermen to carry me over to morzan i accordingly stepped into a canoe about eight o'clock in the morning of july thirtieth and in about an hour was landed at morzan at this place i hired a canoe for sixty cowries and in the afternoon arrived at key where for forty cowries more the duty permitted me to sleep in the same hut with one of his slaves this poor negro perceiving that i was sickly and that my clothes were very ragged humanely lent me a large cloth to cover me for the night july thirty first the duty's brother being going to modibu i embraced the opportunity of accompanying him thither there being no beaten road he promised to carry my saddle which i had left at key when my horse fell down in the woods as i now proposed to present it to the king of bambara we departed from key at eight o'clock and about a mile to the westward observed on the bank of the river a great number of earthen jars piled up together they were very neatly formed but not glazed and were evidently of that sort of pottery which is manufactured at downey a town to the west of timbuktu and sold to great advantage in different parts of bambara as we approached towards the jars my companion plucked up a large handful of herbage and threw it upon them making signs for me to do the same which i did he then with great seriousness told me that these jars belonged to some supernatural power that they were found in their present situation about two years ago and as no person had claimed them every traveller as he passed them from respect to the invisible proprietor threw some grass or the branch of a tree upon the heap to defend the jars from the rain thus conversing we travelled in the most friendly manner until unfortunately we perceived the footsteps of a lion quite fresh in the mud near the river side my companion now proceeded with great circumspection and at last coming to some thick underwood he insisted that i should walk before him i endeavoured to excuse myself by alleging that i did not know the road but he obstinately persisted and after a few high words and menacing looks threw down the saddle and went away this very much disconcerted me but as i had given up all hopes of attaining a horse i could not think of encumbering myself with the saddle 
and taking off the stirrups and girths i threw the saddle into the river the negro no sooner saw me throw the saddle into the water than he came running from the, among the bushes where he had concealed himself jumped into the river and by help of his spear brought out the saddle and ran away with it i continued my course along the bank but as the wood was remarkably thick and i had reason to believe that a lion was at no great distance i became much alarmed and took a long circuit through the bushes to avoid him about four in the afternoon i reached motibu where i found my saddle the guide who had got there before me being afraid that i should inform the king of his conduct had brought the saddle with him in a canoe while i was conversing with the duty and remonstrating against the guide for having left me in such a situation i heard a horse neigh in one of the huts and the duty inquired with a smile if i knew who was speaking to me he explained himself by telling me that my horse was still alive and somewhat recovered from his fatigue but he insisted that i should take him along with me adding that he had once kept a moor's horse for four months and when the horse had recovered and got into good condition the moor returned and claimed it and refused to give him any reward for his trouble august first i departed from motobu driving my horse before me and in the afternoon reached niami where i remained three days during which time it rained without intermission and with such violence that no person could venture out of doors august fifth i departed from niami but the country was so deluged that i was frequently in danger of losing the road and had to wade across the savannas for miles together knee-deep in water even the corn ground which is the driest land in the country was so completely flooded that my horse twice stuck fast in the mud and was not got out without the greatest difficulty in the evening of the same day i arrived at niara where i was well received by the duty as the sixth was rainy i did not depart until the morning of the seventh but the water had swelled to such a height that in many places the road was scarcely passable and though i waded wet breast deep across the swamps i could only reach a small village called niambu where however for a hundred cowries i procured from some fulas plenty of corn for my horse and milk for myself august the eighth the difficulties i had experienced the day before made me anxious to engage a fellow-traveller particularly as i was assured that in the course of a few days the country would be so completely overflowed as to render the road utterly impassable but though i offered two hundred cowries for a guide nobody would accompany me however on the morning following august ninth a moor and his wife riding upon two bullocks and bound for sago with salt passed the village and agreed to take me along with them but i found them of little service for they were wholly unacquainted with the road and being accustomed to a sandy soil 
were very bad travellers. Instead of waiting before the bullocks to feel if the ground was solid, the woman boldly entered the first swamp, riding upon the top of the load. But when she had proceeded about two hundred yards, the bullocks sunk into a hole and threw both the load and herself among the reeds. The frightened husband stood for some time seeming petrified with horror, and suffered his wife to be almost drowned before he went to her assistance. About sunset we reached Sidby, but the duty received me very coolly, and when I solicited for a guide to San Sanding, he told me his people were otherwise employed. I was shown into a damp old hut, where I passed a very uncomfortable night, for when the walls of the huts are softened by the rain, they frequently become too weak to support the weight of a roof. I heard three huts fall during the night, and was apprehensive that the hut I lodged in would be the fourth. In the morning, as I went to pull some grass for my horse, I counted fourteen huts which had fallen in this manner since the commencement of the rainy season. It continued to rain with great violence all the tenth, and the duty refused to give me any provisions. I purchased some corn, which I divided with my horse. August 11th. The duty compelled me to depart from the town, and I set out for San Sanding without any great hopes of faring better than I had done at Sibiti, for I learned from people who came to visit me that a report prevailed and was universally believed that I had come to Bambara as a spy, and as Masong had not admitted me into his presence, the duties of the different towns were at liberty to treat me in what manner they pleased. From repeatedly hearing the same story, I had no doubt of the truth of it, but as there was no alternative, I determined to proceed, and a little before sunset I arrived at San Sanding. My reception was what I expected. Count Mamadi, who had been so kind to me formerly, scarcely gave me welcome. Everyone wished to shun me, and my landlord sent a person to inform me that a very unfavorable report was received from Sago concerning me, and that he wished me to depart early in the morning. About ten o'clock at night, County Mamdi himself came privately to me and informed me that Masong had dispatched a canoe to Jenny to bring me back, and he was afraid I should find great difficulty in going to the west country. He advised me, therefore, to depart from San Sanding before daybreak, and cautioned me against stopping at Digani or any town near Sago. August 12th. I departed from San Sanging and reached Kaba in the afternoon. As I approached the town, I was surprised to see several people assembled at the gate, one of whom, as I advanced, came running towards me, and taking my horse by the bridle, led me round the walls of the town, and then pointing to the west, told me to go along, or it would fare worse with me. It was in vain that I represented the danger of being benighted in the woods, 
exposed to the inclemency of the weather and the fury of wild beasts go along was all the answer and a number of people coming up and urging me in the same manner with great earnestness i suspected that some of the king's messengers who were sent in search of me were in the town and that these negroes from mere kindness conducted me past it with a view to facilitate my escape i accordingly took the road for sego with the uncomfortable prospect of passing the night on the branches of a tree after travelling about three miles i came to a small village near the road the duty was splitting sticks by the gate but i found i could have no admittance when i attempted to enter he jumped up and with the stick he held it in his hand threatened to strike me off the horse if i presumed to advance another step at a little distance from this village and further from the road is another small one i conjured that being rather out of the commune, common route the inhabitants might have fewer objections to give me house room for the night and having crossed some cornfields i sat down under a tree by the well two or three women came to draw water and one of them perceiving i was a stranger inquired whither i was going i told her i was going for sego but being benighted on the road i wished to stay at the village until morning and begged she would acquaint the duty with my situation in a little time the duty sent for me and permitted me to sleep in a large balloon august thirteenth about ten o'clock i reached a small village within half a mile of sego where i endeavoured but in vain to procure some provisions every one seemed anxious to avoid me and i can plainly perceive by the looks and behaviour of the inhabitants that some very unfavourable accounts had been circulated concerning me i was again informed that masong had sent people to apprehend me and the duty's son told me that i had no time to lose if i wished to get safe out of bambara i now fully saw the danger of my situation and determined to avoid sego altogether i accordingly mounted my horse and taking the road for digali travelled as fast as i could till i was out of sight of the villagers when i struck to the westward through high grass and swampy ground about noon i stopped under a tree to consider what course to take for i had now no doubt that the moors and slatties had misinformed the king respecting the object of my mission and that people were absolutely in search of me to convey me prisoner to sago sometimes i had thoughts of swimming my horse across the niger and going to the southward for cape coast but reflecting that i had ten days to travel before i should reach kong and afterwards an extensive country to traverse inhabited by various nations whose language and manners i was totally unacquainted i relinquished this scheme and judged that i should better answer the purpose of my mission by proceeding to the westward along the niger endeavouring to ascertain how far the river 
was navigable in that direction having resolved upon this course i proceeded accordingly and a little before sunset arrived at a fula village called subu where for two hundred cowries i procured lodging for the night august fourteenth i continued my course along the bank of the river through a populous and well-cultivated country i passed a walled town called camellia without stopping and at noon rode through a large town called sami where there happened to be a market and a number of people assembled in an open place in the middle of the town selling cattle cloth corn etc i rode through the midst of them without being much observed everyone taking me for a moor in the afternoon i arrived at a small village called beanie where i agreed with the duty's son for one hundred cowries to allow me to stay for the night but when the duty returned he insisted that i should instantly leave the place and if his wife and son had not interceded for me i must have complied august fifteenth about nine o'clock i passed a large town called say which very much excited my curiosity it is completely surrounded by two very deep trenches at about two hundred yards distant from the walls on top of the trenches are a number of square towers and the whole has the appearance of a regular fortification about noon i came to the village of kamu situated upon the bank of the river and as the corn i had purchased at sibley was exhausted i endeavored to purchase a fresh supply but was informed that corn was become very scarce all over the country and though i offered fifty cowries for a small quantity no person would sell me any as i was about to depart however one of the villagers who probably mistook me for some morris sherif brought me some as a present only desiring me to bestow my blessing upon him which i did in plain english and he received it with a thousand acknowledgments of this present i made my dinner and it was the third successive day that i had subsisted entirely upon raw corn in the evening i arrived at a small village called song the surely inhabitants of which would not receive me nor so much as permit me to enter the gate but as lions were very numerous in the neighborhood and i had frequently in the course of the day observed the impression of their feet on the road i resolved to stay in the vicinity of the village having collected some grass for my horse i accordingly lay down under a tree by the gate about ten o'clock i heard the hollow roar of a lion at no great distance and attempted to open the gate but the people from within told me that no person must attempt to enter the gate without the duty's permission i begged them to inform the duty that a lion was approaching the village and i hoped he would allow me to come within the gate i waited for an answer to this message with great anxiety for the lion kept prowling round the village and once advanced so very near me 
that I heard him rustling among the grass and climbed the tree for safety. About midnight the duty, with some of his people, opened the gate and desired me to come in. They were convinced, they said, that I was not a moor, for no moor ever waited any time at the gate of a village without cursing the inhabitants. August 16th. About ten o'clock I passed a considerable town, with a mosque called Jabi. Here the country begins to rise into hills, and I could see the summits of high mountains to the westward. About noon I stopped at a small village near Yamina, where I purchased some corn and dried my papers and clothes. The town of Yamina at a distance has a very fine appearance. It covers nearly the same extent of ground as San Sing, but having been plundered by Daisy, king of Carta, about four years ago, it has not yet resumed its former prosperity, nearly one half of the town being nothing but a heap of ruins. However, it is still a considerable place and it is so much frequented by the moors that i did not think it safe to lodge in it but in order to satisfy myself respecting its population and extent i resolved to ride through it in doing which i observed a great many moors sitting upon the bentangs and other places of public resort everybody looked at me with astonishment but as I rode briskly along, they had no time to ask questions. I arrived in the evening at Farah, a walled village, where, without much difficulty, I procured a lodging for the night. August 17th. Early in the morning I pursued my journey, and at eight o'clock passed a considerable town called Baal-Abba, after which the road quits the plain and stretches along the side of the hill. I passed in the same course of this day the ruins of three towns, the inhabitants of which were all carried away by Daisy, king of Carta, on the same day that he took and plundered Yamina. Near one of these ruins I claimed a terramin tree, but found the fruit quite green and sour, and the prospect of the country was by no means inviting, for the high grass and bushes seemed completely to obstruct the road, and the lowlands were all so flooded by the river that the Niger had the appearance of an extensive lake. In the evening I arrived at Kanika, where the duty, who was sitting upon an elephant's hide at the gate, received me kindly, and gave me for supper some milk and meal, which I considered, as to a person in my situation, it really was, a very great luxury. August 18th. By mistake I took the wrong road, and did not discover my error until I had travelled nearly four miles, when, coming to an eminence, I observed the Niger considerably to the left. Directing my course towards it, I travelled through long grass and bushes with great difficulty until two o'clock in the afternoon, when I came to a comparatively small but very rapid river, which I took at first for a creek, 
or one of the streams of the niger however after i had examined it with more attention i was convinced that it was a distinct river and as the road evidently crossed it for i could see the pathway on the opposite side i sat down upon the bank in hopes that some traveller might arrive who would give me the necessary information concerning the fording place for the banks were so covered with reeds and bushes that it would have been almost impossible to land on the other side except at the pathway which on account of the rapidity of the stream it seemed very difficult to reach no traveller however arriving and there being a great appearance of rain i examined the grass and bushes for some way up the bank and determined upon entering the river considerably above the pathway in order to reach the other side before the stream had swept me too far down with this view i fastened my clothes upon the saddle and was standing up to the neck in water pulling my horse by the bridle to make him follow me when a man came accidentally to the place and seeing me in the water called to me with great vehemence to come out the alligators he said would devour both me and my horse if we attempted to swim over when i had got out the stranger who had never before seen a european seemed wonderfully surprised he twice put his hand to his mouth exclaiming in a low tone of voice god preserve me who is this but when he heard me speak the bambara tongue and found that i was going the same way as himself he promised to assist me in crossing the river the name of which he said was frina he then went a little way along the bank and called to some person who answered from the other side in a short time a canoe with two boys came paddling from among the reeds these boys agreed for fifty cowries to transport me and my horse over the river which was effected without much difficulty and i arrived in the evening at tafra a walled town and soon discovered that the language of the natives was improved from the corrupted dialect of bambara to the pure mandingo End of Volume 2, Chapter 17 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.